Mark chapter 10. It's got too much of a sound bounce, Dan. I don't know what's going on with it. Let's do something different here. A little bit. Without making me quiet. Well, you can't make me quiet, but you don't make the sound quiet either. Look at Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 1. It says, And he, the he there's being Jesus, and he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him. Now look at this. And as he was wont, he taught them again. If you mark things in the scripture, I would ask you to mark that word want, W O N T. And uh, we're going to be going to several passages tonight. I'm going to be reading some to you. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit on the subject of what are you want to do? Not do you, what do you want, W A E N T, to do, but what are you want to do? It's an interesting word. Um, Jesus was wont to teach. That's what it says there in the passage. Look at it. And uh, I encourage you to read more on that. But it says, the people resort unto Him. I'm beginning at the end of that verse. In other words, they came to Him again. He had left the crowds. They would come back. They come to Him again. And then it says, then he said, and as He was wont, He taught them again. It, it's pretty amazing, really. I want you to... Listen to these verses because I'm going to be going through them very quickly, but I want you to listen to these verses just in the book of Mark. Listen as I read to you some of these. Um, in Mark 1.21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, He, Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at His doctrine, for He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Chapter 2 picks up the theme there, saying about Jesus again. It says, And He went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto Him, and He taught them. If we go to chapter 4, and verses 1 and 2, we find this written about Jesus. It says, And He began to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto Him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. Then if we continue in chapter 6 of the same book, you have these verses. Verse 2, it says, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought in his hands? And then uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, it says here, listen to this. Chapter 8 and verse 13 makes a statement. Uh, not 13, let's see, we got it. 31 rather, and I flipped it, feeling a little lexic tonight. Uh, verse 31. And it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In chapter 9 and verse 31, it says this, 
For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. They shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Then we have our text, which we already read. And then chapter 11, verse 17 mentions he taught them. And chapter 12 and verse 35 mentions he taught them. So when we look again at our text, which I hope you'll look at there in Mark 10 and verse 1, and it says, And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the further side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. Now, excuse me just a moment here. The, uh, Jesus had a want. W-O-N-T. He was wont to do something. He was wont to teach. By the way, when Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission... He says, go ye, speaking to all people who would be disciples of Jesus Christ through all ages. He said, go ye therefore and do what? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. What's the next word? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then gives us promise to be with us. What are you want to do? Want is to be inclined toward something by disposition and or by habit. Now stay with me a minute. It's going to be a lot like a Wednesday night Bible study. Probably because it is, huh? But to be, to be want is to be inclined toward something. You head that direction. Either by disposition and or by habit. To be inclined by disposition is leaning towards something because we naturally have a tendency in that direction. I'll give you an illustration. People who are naturally, uh, people who have, especially young people, who have a disposition towards musical ability tend to gravitate towards a piano wherever they see one sitting. They have a disposition towards it. They're inclined towards music. Uh, They will see a piano and they will go to it. I've watched it time and time again. Uh, You take a youth group somewhere and there are certain ones, as soon as they walk in, they see a piano, they'll go towards that. Some will come towards it to play on it if they can. Some will come towards it to plunk on it. Some will come on towards it to torture it. <laughs> Poor piano. And uh, others to, to get around it to sing something. And it's a focal point for those who are inclined. There are other people who are not thus inclined. They're not, they don't have an inclination towards that. And it's okay, but it's not something that catches their intention. So what is that? That's being inclined by disposition. That's in them, so they tend to go towards that. To be inclined by habit is to start leaning towards something because of actions we have chosen that become habits and become part of our life. Illustration with that. Someone who works in security or law enforcement, they will usually set, if they're in a restaurant, they will usually set where they can see the door or doors in a restaurant. They, have, they do not like sitting with their back towards them. And uh, I'm not in law enforcement, but I don't like sitting with my back towards them. Um, you say, why? Because I'm a preacher. You can't afford to do that. Um, but... They like to be able to see the doors with that. They scan a crowd when they enter a room. They look at it differently than someone does just casually coming in. They're aware of people carrying bags and backpacks. They tend to notice people who are not acting quite right or who don't quite fit into their surroundings and so forth. In other words, they are want to be a little more suspicious, observant, alert than the average person. We would say the person who's inclined towards music because that's their disposition. That's how they're wired. Stay with me. I'm going to teach you something here. And by the way, I'll help, your parent, I'll help your parents with something with this. 
they come in and their disposition, the way they're wired by God, the way God, their Creator made them, they have a propensity. They tend to go towards something that's musical. They are wont to do that. Uh, you come in and, and you see the, the certain young person or something goes over and somebody says, hey, your daughter, your son went right over to the piano. The parent would say, yeah, they do that wherever we go. They are wont to do that. Now remember the message tonight is this question for us. What are you wont to do? Then there are other people who because of their actions, because of uh, their habits, they develop a tendency towards something. And both of those can go together, which is not a problem at all with that. It's pretty interesting. Um, by the way, let me, let me just drop this in here for you. Um, when it comes to habits, we would do well to spend far more energy and time and prayer trying to develop good habits than we would just trying to break bad ones. You say, why is that, preacher? Well, it's because of Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Regardless, <laughs> you're smiling at me because that's going up on the sign by next Sunday. And uh, that was happy. I read that verse. I said, man, I want to be... And it fits our sign. Praise God. You only have so many letters you can work with. And uh, why well, the Bible says, be not overcome of evil. All right? We don't want victory to go to evil in our life. Well, how do we not do that? We overcome evil with good. That means we're going to have to develop some things get some habits in place uh, that, uh, that make a difference in our life and what we do with our life with that. The word want, W-O-N-T, is used nine times in the Bible. In Exodus 21, it says, if an ox were want to push with horn in time past. In other words, if someone's animal, if their ox hurt somebody and it was known that was that ox's habit, then you were in trouble far more than if it was a first-time offense for the ox. So that's the word want. Numbers 22.30, this one's great. Balaam accuses his donkey of mocking him. That whole thing you read there is pretty amazing. I don't know what is more startling. Balaam's donkey talking to him or the fact that Balaam just enters into a conversation without blinking when his donkey does start talking. I don't know about you all, but if I went home tonight and one of my two dogs looked at me and said, what's for supper? I would probably consider that to be an unusual event. Um, but whenever his donkey, you got to think how bad this has got to be when your donkey accuses you of mocking, you know, you accuse the donkey of mocking you. And then the donkey is more reasonable than the, than the man. But there's a lot of illustrations of that, amen. Um, but the donkey said this. He said, was I ever want to do this unto thee? So the donkey used the word want. He said, is this what I normally do? I've been your, your faithful donkey these years. That's why he says to it. And then he says, have I ever been want to do this? It's pretty interesting. First Samuel 30, 31, David, after the city of Ziklag was burned, and some of you will remember that account when David, of course, was expelled from Israel because he was running from King Saul. And... Uh, David, and at this point, 600 men. He'd start out with 400 and more had added to him. 600 men and their families and such have come out to David. These, these people who were kind of in rough condition in their lives. They were desperate. They were, uh, uh, they were people who were in despair. They were people who were in debt. All this. And they went to the outcast king. And you see the beautiful picture in that? And that outcast king made something out of them. The same thing we did when we came to Christ. And uh, went out there to David and, and they were in the city Ziklag. And while David and the men were off battling, 
uh, Ziklag was overthrown and it was burnt and the people were taken captive and all their goods were taken. And and the, the folks who had gathered themselves to David were so upset that they were talking about stoning him to death. But God gave a great uh, uh, victory and He recovered everything. But then when David did that, by the way, it was shortly after this, very shortly after this, that Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle and, and all that. But whenever they came back, David had people he kept in contact with back in Israel. There were people he was in contact with the whole time. Remember, David's already anointed to be king. And he sent presents to several places and several people of everything he got back from the spoils and let him know what God had done for him. And in that account of that happening there in 1 Samuel 30 is to me one of the favorite one of my favorite sounding um, sentences in the Bible. Just the sound of it for some reason I, I find interesting. And it talks about, it names places and people to whom gifts were sent. And then it says and the other places where David and his men were wont to haunt. And I love that line. And I think of that sometimes. I, certain places in town I go to frequently, and I think this is somewhere I'm wont to haunt. Amen? And uh, we talk about that. In other words, he had a tendency to go there. Uh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Where do you head towards if you have a choice? Interesting question, isn't it? Sometimes it is in a geographical location. Uh, where do you go with one of these? Right. Right. Where do you go and along the path of a social media? Right. What and where do you go? Where do you want to talk? Interesting thought, isn't it? In 1 Samuel 20, it mentions... Uh, that how they were wont to speak in old time. This is the way that they did that. In Daniel chapter 3, it says the furnace was heated seven times more than it was wont. In Matthew 27, 15, at the mock trial of Jesus, truth was not its basis and justice was not its goal. But at this mock trial of Jesus, it was said at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. That's interesting too. Politically driven. Then we have our text. And we have Jesus. What's He want to do? He's want to teach. If you read in Mark what was happening before that and after that, if it had been anybody less than Jesus, I think it had been one of us, He might have been so aggravated at His disciples at that point that He wouldn't have been want to teach them. He had been want to, I don't know, scourge them or something. He had been revealing unto them that He had His his great purpose for being here, why He had come, what God was doing with Him, and they were arguing over who was the greatest. They were fussing over things. They were fearful over things. You read what's around that in the chapters before and after that, and you will find right in the middle of some great instability among those who are following Him, Jesus does the best thing He can do for those who are followers of Him. He teaches them the Word of God. I've told you often, I tell you again, the best thing I have to offer you certainly is not oratorical ability. It is the Word of God. It is my goal to not preach about the Word, but to preach the Word and have the Word of God take the effect it can take in your life. I want it to be such a thing when you come around here that you're going to have to purposefully ignore the Word of God 
because it's going to be so open for you. May God help us to get that. I want you to have a hunger for it. I'm not poking anybody tonight. Some of you come straight in from work. You have a hard time staying away. Every now and then somebody comes straight in from lazy and has the same problem. Amen. It's not as comfortable as your couch, but it'll do. But some of you come right in from work. I don't care if that's been taking care of your household or working. Some of you men to work outside, especially work out where it's cold and such. Anytime you stop moving, you fall asleep. You get that. Amen. But let me tell you something that's a fact in the midst of understanding all that. You're going to find it's a lot easier to get something out of the Word of God if you're getting the Word of God in you. Sometimes the Bible's just not interesting. It isn't delivery doing it. It's the fact that we don't have an appetite for that. Right. Because the same person, you see their eyes glaze over. They start to go, and when you start talking to them about the Bible, whether it be preaching or whether it be a personal conversation, you mention a sport they like. You mention something they like doing. You mention the hunting they like doing. They, you mention bicycle riding they like doing. You mention this or that they like doing. And they come alive on that. Why? Because there's something inside that's tuned towards it. What do we want to do? Jesus was want to teach. Are you want to teach? It's been this very week I've had opportunity to teach the Bible to people I've dealt with in town and help them. Not only gospel witness, which of course is paramount, but also helping people to understand the Scripture. And there's a common question on people's mind right now. What's going on? Where's all this going to go? What's happening? In our world. And we have the Word of God. We have the answer for people. What do we want to do? More specifically, what do you want to do? What am I want to do? And so, we have our text here. In Luke 22, verse 39, we find this about Jesus. It says, He came out and went as, his, as was wont. <laughs> we'll try it again in English. And He came out and went as He was wont to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples also followed Him. Jesus was in the habit of going to the Mount of Olives to pray. He was in the habit of going there. You know, when Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that word Gethsemane means the pressing place, when He went to that place, that wasn't a new experience for Him. Certainly, He hadn't been there at the night of His betrayal before. Probably, He had not sweated blood before. But going to a place of prayer and a place of giving himself over strongly and passionately to the Father's will, that wasn't new for him. And uh, what do we want to do? Is there a, a sacred place for us? I'm not talking about venerating some piece of ground and you know becoming idolatrous with that, but is there a sacred place? I guarantee you something I've been doing lately and I've enjoyed. It just works well now to do this for reasons why it didn't work as well before. <laughs> for many years it was called children in the house. Um, but there's a desk that my wife got for me when we were Bible college students. It was one of the first pieces of furniture we ever refinished together. It's a, it's a large oak desk. It's tiger, tiger oak or cortisone oak. You'll notice that. It's a turn of the century piece around 1900 golden oak period. And it was, it's a nice desk. It was actually a desk that was used in one of the pastor's offices in the little Nazarene church, or not small Nazarene church, but Nazarene church where she grew up. 
And we got that desk, and I used that desk through college and used it early on at different places. We have lived in a couple places where that desk took up most of the living room because <laughs> it's large. But I have an office building at the house, and in uh, recent, recent times here, just in the last, last uh, couple, three weeks, I set everything aside up there, and we set it up again. And uh, I've been using a different place in the house for my morning study when I get up early. But I now move my study up to that desk. And i got to tell you, that's quickly becoming a sacred place. To open God's Word and get what God has up. To uh, find the food for feeding God's flock. In that little place, in that old desk, that's just a place. Do you have a place? See, Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives and it's His want. Oh, He's going there. Why? Because He's going to pray. Is there a place for you like that? Is there, a, is there somewhere in your life where you set aside the busyness to take time to be with God? If you don't have it, man, I encourage you to get it. Doesn't need to be something fancy. Doesn't have to be something elaborate, but I will promise you this. You need to establish somewhere where you want to go that it's you and God together. I know we can talk with God anywhere and should. But it's nice to have a place. That's kind of our place where we go with that. I've got them here on the property. I've got them more than one's fine. And, uh, and, and he did that. In Acts 16, verse 13, I love this. Paul and the company with him began teaching the Word of God in the city of Philippi. And the first convert recorded in Macedonia was reached with the Gospel the Scripture says, and of course that was Lydia, out of the city by a riverside where prayer was want to be made. What do you want to do? What is it that marks your direction in life? In our text there in Mark 10, we see Jesus when we do, He's displaying the beautiful and beneficial blending of natural inclination and also habit formed by sanctified intention. Look at it. Look at the verse again. Mark 10 and verse 1. Jesus, it says here, and He arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont. I read to you many passages just from the book of Mark earlier in the message that showed you that Jesus was in the habit of teaching, telling people what God taught, teaching people how to follow God. You know, the scripture that's often used, and we've heard it preached well in a lot of examples and a lot of places where there is no vision, the people perish. We understand the context of that verse. But can I tell you, the vision that we have of God, the clarity of being able to see God, the vision we have of God must come from His book. In this book, this King James Bible in my hand, God is perfectly pictured, He's perfectly revealed. Any other source to which we can go to try to learn of God, even if it's a good source and it's trying to point you towards God, it is either lacking in completeness 
or it will probably have tinges of imperfection in it. This book reveals God to us. Think about this for a minute. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If all you were getting taught, God help us, be philosophy. Current events, what's sent down from some religious headquarters, pop psychology with religious clothing put on it, and a myriad of other things that pass for what's called preaching, opinion elevated to commit to to a uh, uh, to a position of uh, God's commandments. If that's all we were getting, we'll perish. I will perish. You will perish. Why? Because there's no vision. This is what God gave. It isn't talking about us getting a dream for something. It isn't talking about us saying, oh, I think God could do this in the future. That's not what it was. The vision it was talking about in the context of the verse was what God gave to His prophets to give to His people. That's what we have in the Word of God. And Jesus was wont to teach. Are you wont to teach your children? I'm going to be very transparent with you. I'm not a man who lives in much... I, I, I don't spend much time looking in the rearview mirror. You say, why not? I can learn from it. You say, why don't you look there much? Well, uh, speaking in life, as far as going through life. Well, because I found out if you keep looking in the rearview mirror, you drive into a tree somewhere. I want to look back enough to learn, but I, I, want, to, I want to be going on for the Lord. And, and I'm not a man who has a lot of regrets in life just because God's been very good to me. But I would promise you something. Not possible. And I don't spend much time on it because it's not possible. But if you take the word of a 57-year-old pastor with adult children whom he loves, if I go back as a dad, you say, what? Is it what? Some things you would do different. I'll tell you one tonight I'd do different. I wouldn't do anything differently about the house of God. I wouldn't do anything differently about serving the Lord. But I'll tell you one thing I'd do differently. Brother Keith, no matter what it took for me to move around, I would spend more time teaching the Word of God to my children. I don't believe you can get too much of the Word in their hearts when they're young and tender. It's the only thing that can keep them from going off into the ways of sin. It's the only thing that can recover them when they make wrong choices. The Word of God. I guarantee you that. Hmm. What do we want to do? What is our habit? What do we seek to do in life? Pretty interesting with it. Jesus was wont to teach. Let's teach and uh, have a desire to do it. You realize where most of you work you may be one of the, if not the person who knows the most Bible in your, in your work area. I don't say that to puff you up or cause you to be prideful. I say it as a way of responsibility and opportunity. So well, I don't know a lot. The little you know is probably more than those around you. Their idea of learning the Bible is watching the History Channel. God help us, right? Not so good. You know? At some point, they, they either 
back when people did more such thing, and they, they got the DVD or maybe they went on Netflix or something and they saw the Passion of Christ and Noah's Ark, so they're a Bible scholar, you know. There you go. Never watched either of that nonsense, but I'm going to tell you this. It's uh, uh, people just don't know the Bible. And a clear, simple voice to tell them the basics about who God is can make a huge difference. Huh. I'm thinking in my mind right now, someone in town I was talking to, they've never been to our church, but I was talking to them and uh, they called me pastor and, we, and, and I deal with them and dealt with them about their soul. And, and I was talking to them and, and they mentioned something. I said, here's what the Bible teaches about this. Here's what's going on according to the Bible. And I'm fascinated with the fact they just zero in. They want to hear what the Scripture says. May God help us to be wise with this. The question I ask is, what, are, what do you want to do? Let me give you these two thoughts. I'm going to ask you by way of question, what good things are you inclined towards by your disposition? Disposition means how, how you're made. How did your Creator make you? Um, I don't believe in the psychological nonsense of going too deep into introspection and, and saying, you know, you try to learn all about yourself. But the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to, we're supposed to understand. We give heed to ourselves and to the doctrine. We're supposed to know and understand what we do well and what we don't do well. For instance, I preached Vacation Bible School this year. We had a tremendous year and people saved and young people saved. And the, the kids were very attentive with that. And uh, they absolutely, you know, they zeroed in on the Word of God and they learned things and boy, they were getting it and that. But I'm not a children's worker. So what do you mean? I mean, you, you, you shut me up in the junior church six weeks in a row, me or them's going to be dead. I don't know what's going to happen. That's just not my gear. I can do it. And, and, I, and I like uh, most of our young'uns most of the time. <laughs> but it's... Uh, it, it, it is, it, I, I'm not here for that. And, and I watch people who are very good children worker and the way they illustrate things and hands-on and they bring different things in. It's amazing. Brother Jerry Simonton, fascinating as a junior church preacher. Always in an illustration, always something doing with his hands and something he brings in and the kids come away going, wow, I got it. And it's just as natural for him to do that. And I watch people who can do that, and I think it's wonderful with that. That's not my strongest group. You say, okay, preacher, what's the deal there? I'm talking about what are your good inclinations? I have other inclinations. I have things for which God has, has, has built me and gifted me for. And I'm supposed to take those and develop them. You have some good things God's made you for. What are your good inclinations? If you'll be honest with yourself. I'm not worried about you becoming prideful with this. I mean, I'm just saying realistically, if you look realistically, what are you good at? So well, I work well with my hands. You know, the first person in the Bible that the Holy Spirit of God was put on them for a specific task was Bezalel, and his purpose was to build things for the temple. Do you know how much is needed of that? in day-by-day -day living and in God's work here at God's house for one place, but also think about the people that you could minister to, that you could help, the opportunities that open by you being able to go and help somebody. You know, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, the, uh, uh, Mrs. Short, when you, your, your porch was trying to fall through, it had gotten quite old and we shorted it up a little, but it was good to have 
some men and somebody who can work with their hands come and do that. I could sit down and have a good Bible study with her, and I could scab together a porch and make it work. It wouldn't look like one you got right now, though. Amen? It, it, it looks good. And I it would probably, as, as light as you are, it would be safe if I built it. I, I mean, you could build one out of balsa wood for her and she'd be good. Uh, but what good could you do? I have watched Christian people who are good with their hands and good with doing these sort of things and, and good with something, use that to help people and reach people and open the door for a good testimony to those people over and over again. What do you want to do? What do you have an inclination to? I want you to think about it while I'm talking to you here. What has God made you? What, what are you inclined towards as far as your disposition? Think about these things and, and, and pay attention to these. Pay attention to them in your spiritual life. Pay attention to what God's given you to. For some people, some of you, it is very easy to be uh, have empathy towards people. When someone's hurting, you literally physically feel their pain. You, you, that's very, you, you have mercy in you. You have a compassion. God will use that. You say, well, there's a lot of hurt that comes with that. Yes, and you get the honor of helping a bearing part of the burden that Christ bore. When we pick up the burden of Christ, part of what we pick up is the hurt that comes from other people's wrongs and other people's broken lives and other people's tears and other people's sins and it weighs us down. Why? Because that's when we enter in and take out that yoke of fellowship with Christ. And God help us to be people like that. What is, what's your inclination spiritually? Do you read and understand the Word easily? Then God wants to use that. Not to puff you up so somebody thinks you're intelligent. But to use that. Why? For the body of Christ. So that others can be taught and can be strengthened and can, can be used. What are you want to do? Now you may have some <laughs> predispositions or inclinations that aren't so good. Anger. Harshness. Laziness. These kind of things. To preach, you looked right at me when you said that last one, being overly touchy. Um, <laughs> we just covered it all over here. Um, and we need to be aware of those and realize that's, that's that old flesh going. But... God's built some things into you. What kind of inclination has He given to you physically? How can you be helpful? What kind of, what kind of inclination has he, has he built into you as far as uh, the economy of your life? I, I, I was blessed by a businessman approaching me and, and saying, look, I'm going to invest in some people right now. Can you, can you point me towards some people who are a good investment? I like that. Now I know you're going to be talking to me nice after the service, so I recommend you. But it's, uh, what is that? Someone's using their capacities. God gave them capacity for making money, capacity for being successful business. They're going to use it for, for helping others and being a blessing to folks. That's good. That's doing the right thing. So what are you inclined towards? You say, well, I don't know yet, preacher. Okay, that's legitimate. I get that. Can I, can I help you with that too? You say, I don't I don't know. You may be an adult and say, I never really thought about that before. Okay, that's fine. This may be a new thought for you. That's good. Well, can I help you with it? If you will 
focus on loving God, getting real excited about worshiping Him yourself, praising Him, getting the song of God in your heart and honoring Him, you get yourself or you get more closely in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll show you. Nobody's got to point that to you. It'll be a natural outworking. You will learn to love what you do because you love the one you do it for. You know, as children of God, we have that opportunity. You have that opportunity. Say, preacher, you don't know how tangled up I've been. Well, I know a great untangler. (laughs) And you can go on for the Lord. Thank God for it. And then let me ask you, what good actions are you cultivating? What habits are you forming? I mentioned to you earlier, I believe it is more substantial that we seek to develop good and right habits as, as pointed out and given to us in the Word of God. It's more important that we develop those than that we spend all our focus on getting rid of evil. What? What? And I may be giving you a new thought tonight. You've not thought along this way. Watch me. And so don't feel like, oh man, I haven't figured this out. This may be a new thought for you. That's fine. This is, this is something for you to do biblically. What are you doing to grow? Sort of along with what I told you Sunday night, if you remember back that far, eons ago, about the great American trade-off of workout equipment that never got used. All the new gadgets will make you lean and strong and tough. But they have all the same flaw. What is it? You have to use them, right? And uh, you have to put them into practice. Hey, this is common language with us, and it's, it's unfortunate that it is. Well, I know I should be, and we can be talking about something in our health, something in our diet, something in our schedule, something whatever. Well, I know I should, and here's the telling thing. We can lay it out. I should be doing this, this, and this. It's not like it's a mystery. We know what we should be doing on the basic level. And you say, why aren't you doing it? Just because I'm not. That's bad enough if it just affects our temporary life. Listen to me. If we're not awakened to the fact that the time is crucial and we've got to be about the master's business, if we're not getting that right now, then we are totally insensible and totally spiritually asleep, possibly spiritually dead. So what are we doing? This may be a new thought, but I want you to think. I want it to jar you. I want it to make you uncomfortable. I want it not, to leave you not satisfied with where you are and what's going on in your life. I'm not satisfied to be walking with God where I was a year ago or leading this church as I did a year ago. We need to go forward for God. What happens? If you've not thought of this before, what habits could you do? Just think of something simple. Don't get extravagant. Don't try to build a bunch of different things together. What could you do to incline yourself? Maybe it would be just 
is your schedule. Perhaps you're neglecting your Scripture. Putting your Bible in a certain place where you can just start looking over a couple verses a day. I'm not advocating staying on that light of a diet forever. But if your book's not opening at all right now, getting it open is the first step. Find a favorite passage. Maybe it's the Psalms that speak to you, or Proverbs. Maybe it's a particular story form. Maybe it's Ruth or Esther or Daniel or one of those. Maybe it's the Gospel accounts. Maybe it's uh, Paul's writings. And you go in there and see the Word of God as was given to the Apostle Paul. I don't know what it may be, but you find something. And you go in there and you start into that. What are you doing to go forward? So I'd I'd like to be growing in the Lord. Okay, what are you doing to do that? You know, one day when I looked in the mirror and saw more of me than should have ever existed, I there was a point where I said, okay, it's not going to go away by wishing, praying, or fasting. Well, fasting could have done a lot of it. You know I became committed to do? Be healthy. Not follow a fanaticism, but follow solid, sustainable, Healthy practices. Why? Because that's what lasts over the long haul. And that's what allows us to operate well. And that's what will make us the maximum effective tool in our Savior's hand. May God help us to apply that in our spiritual life. Somebody says, I'd like to know the Bible. Then what are you doing today to go that direction? Young people don't know this, but I went through this week as I do sometimes. I went through after school hours and went through and looked at each of your cabinets in school. I looked at what you have hanging up there. I didn't find any siblings. I was happy about that. Um, saw a little note you've written to yourself. I looked at whether or not you keep your place tidy or if you look like didn't know we had any piggies in the room. I look. Say why? I want to see where you are. Let's see what's going on. I mean, I review your grades, but I want to know where you are first. Important. One, and the person will know who they are, and I can point them out. But I saw a little thing written. Someone had on their their uh, inside their cabinet area. They said, "My goal is to do better in my studies." They'd written that themselves. Some hadn't written it for them. I looked at that and I said, I like that. I like that. I like someone to look at something and say, okay, this isn't where I'd like it to be. I believe I could do better than I'm doing here. And so I'm going to take some steps. That's a great place to start, isn't it? I like that. I think it's commendable. But let me say to you, when you do that, You've got to start asking the Lord for some particular wisdom. What do you need to do next? I can't answer the question for you. I love being your pastor. But oh, if I can transfer your dependency to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. It's not for me to charge your course. I'll help you every way I can. I'll try to provide the right atmosphere in the right place for you. I'll certainly feed you the word. 
But you, my friends, just like me, I'm encouraging you tonight. You're saved. How many of you know you're saved? You're not ashamed of that. That means the Spirit of God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He knows exactly where you are in your spiritual walk. You may wonder about it yourself. You may wonder what the true measure of yourself is before God. He knows. He knows what you need next. He knows what the next step is. I'm challenging you tonight. No scolding because you may have not ever thought of this before. But I'm challenging you. Will you? I'm asking you a real question. You answer it to God and to yourself. But will you ask your God what your next step is to guide you to what you are want to be? If you look realistically at where you are right now and your outlook on life, your spiritual walk, your physical health, how you handle those things which God puts into your control to be a steward over, why don't you look at that honestly and figure out what is your want? What's your continual behavior pattern? What's your tendency? Then I ask you to take in the light of the Word of God as you know it and as it's revealed to you and say, what should be my want? And start taking actual steps to get to that direction. What do we want to do? And then collectively as a church, what do we want to be? Can guests come among us when we're outside of these walls in the community? What do we want to be? There are certain mannerisms that should accompany those who are children of God. May God help us to follow it. I've given you enough for one night. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Lord, this is a, a lot stronger truth than I have verbal capacity to get across. But I believe your Spirit's getting across to people. May their hearts be open to you. Lord, may we be a people who are want to do what our Savior wants. Lord, I, I, I want to follow you by, by reflex that it is what I want to do. Lord, uh, you've been good to us. I ask you to help us to be good to you. Give wisdom to people who are actually going to ask for it. Your children in this room that will actually think about this truth and try to find out what to do next from you and what they need in their life. Lord, I pray that you'll show them, guide them, give them understanding, encourage them about who they are in you. Lord, bless them. Lord, I pray that right now there'll be open hearts to you. People will seek to you what they want to do. Let's stand together, please. Now would be a good time to start with that prayer of seeking God. Why don't you come? I have a song invitation tonight. What do you want to do? a new thought for you and come present yourself to God I want to be right your friends family people who know you what, what would they say you are wanting to do 
you're put under a pressure situation, those who know you, what would they say you want to do in reaction? If faced with adversity, what do you want to do? If given blessing or abundance, what do you want to do? May God help us. Who else tonight?